big wins for parental rights lead to accusations of an extremist religious takeover in Hanover County. But we're here to tell you the real story. Plus, if you haven't heard yet, joy has been officially canceled this Christmas, according to protesters. And last but not least, sadly, we see the national anti-Semitic trends continuing right here in Williamsburg, Virginia. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm your host, Candy Cushman, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, welcome back, everyone. Glad to have you with us at Speak Up Virginia. Victoria, you're looking a lot more Christmassy than I am today. <laughs> I, I kind of feel like the Scrooge on the show compared <laughs> to your red. I don't know. We don't have the cute sweater. You can't see Jesse, but Jesse has yeah. an actual Christmas sweater. So I don't know. So She's now got I really beat. feel like the yeah. Scrooge. <laughs> I guess. I guess. All right. Well, speaking of Christmas, you know, I hear that you've broken another Christmas tradition in your house by getting out the Christmas decor a little too early. This is not the way the family wants it done for you to just go ahead and get it out. What, before Thanksgiving or what happened? Yeah, this is the big deal. My husband absolutely <laughs> thinks it is a crime, you know, of the greatest fashion to take out decorations prior to Thanksgiving. But sometimes that's the best opportunity that you have when you look at your schedule you go it's either now or it's in two weeks with our schedule and so um he happened to be out of town with my oldest they were having a little daddy daughter senior uh trip senior year trip down the um universal so they were having a good time and we turned on a christmas movie a little early that wasn't my choosing one of my kids picked out a christmas and it just felt right and the other one said we should decorate and i went Yes, we should. We have the moment. So um, he came home to a decorated house before Thanksgiving. All right. Well, I know from personal experience, which I will share about a little bit later, that getting out the Christmas decor can sometimes be a little hazardous. We have this fun little video clip we are going to share for our YouTube viewers um, of a family disaster with someone falling out of the ceiling while getting Christmas decorations. But I hear you've had your own little disaster again while getting the decor out early while Matt's gone away, right? Well, yeah, so the reason this all started was when I, when we were first married our very first Christmas, I went to do this, to take it out early, and I fell down the stairs and severely injured, I broke a toe and whatever, and um, and it was a whole, I mean, ER trip, you know, passed out, oh ER God, trip. passed out. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and of course, and the thing of it is, is you go to the ER and you say, my wife fell down the stairs, and guess what they do? They immediately <laughs> separate you into two rooms and it becomes a, a hostile, like, interview session so anyway it was a whole ordeal so Matt uses that as the proof that 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 you can't take it out so I haven't done it for 20 some years and so but I did it this time without injury so I think that's reversed and now it should be a new trend I mean I get it because either you know you take you do it a little early or you're halfway through the Christmas season you gotta get the happens. most out of you've yeah, gotta get the most is, out of the season yeah um, and I kind of don't leave it up to, through epiphany you know some people leave their tree up into January through epiphany and yeah. um, which I think is great I don't do it because I really need to do it over New Year's or again we get into the General Assembly session wow. at the Family Foundation, and you, so you got to get it down. You're early on both ends in my book. I kind of am early okay. on both ends, but all right. Um, I also, I'm just going to throw out there. Um, if our YouTube viewers see this really like obnoxious bandage <laughs> on my index finger, I also had a Christmas injury. I got out this 50 year old Christmas decoration that my grandmother left to me. Aww. And I didn't realize how fragile it was. And part of it broke off in my hand and so created a pretty good gash in my finger. So now I'm going to be going to all the Christmas parties with a huge bandage. That's what I'm 
as a woman, I'm more worried about going to the Christmas parties <laughs> with the manage than the actual healing of my finger. <laughs> yeah, I can appreciate that. That's fair. But think so, it's not a cast. A friend of mine just broke her uh, a, arm, yeah. you know, ice skating. You could have a whole thing. This is just a bandage. So you'll All be right. okay. It could be worse. Yeah. Okay, well, launching right into our topics today, you know, I know it's been a while since we've done our inconceivable segment, and, you know, that's where we talk about the most outrageous things that the leftists have done lately, you know, that just doesn't make any sense at all because they're trying to go completely against God's principles in our world. And so I wanted to just reprise that at the beginning of the show because um, we need a little dark humor, you know, in this cultural chaos that we face every day pretty much. And so without further ado, let's just go ahead and introduce our Inconceivable. Well, it's that time again. Time for our Inconceivable Moments Award. This is where we're featuring examples of the absolute lunacy and craziness that happens when cultural leaders try to give guidance completely apart from biblical principles. And we're calling this the Liberals' Most Inconceivable Moments Award. Inconceivable! So, Victoria, did you know that Christmas joy has officially been canceled? That's according to these protesters that are out there showing up at Christmas tree lighting ceremonies. And, you know, I just want to show our listeners one of the latest clips from this. Let's take a look at these college students at Columbia University who show up protesting in the middle of the Christmas tree lighting ceremony there. Right now, for those of you who couldn't see the video that was playing, you've got these students holding this huge banner that says joy is canceled. And all of these other students, you know, many of them holding little posters saying the exact same thing. And Victoria, I'm not really sure what their PR strategy here is with this because I don't know why you want to equate yourself, but literally equate yourself with the Grinch. Christmas is canceled. I'm not sure how that helps your cause, but whatever. Yeah, I, I don't know. We're just starting to see this whole all these efforts of these, I mean, these protests basically at schools and typically in colleges, but not exclusively, but basically these anti-Israel protests and they're and they're, they're some would even say anti-Semitic yeah. protesters and they're starting to crash Christmas events. So I guess this all started with the Macy's Day Parade, if folks um, followed that. But basically, like 34 people were arrested for like yeah. trying to mess up the, the classic Macy's Day Christmas parade. Um, but now we've got these students at Columbia and what they said they were doing was demonstrating for things like the university ending various support um, and academic cooperation with Israel entity, like Israeli entities and just yeah, they're, they're using words like divestment but I'm so uncomfortable with this idea of um, that we're going to withdraw support from businesses or entities because they're Jewish. I mean that to me that is getting into the realm of anti-Semitism. I, I don't, yeah, it's very hard to distinguish um, sort of a political cause from the, the, the racial issues that are at play in, in yeah. these situations. And I think the bottom line is there's just no, I mean, there's just no right, there's no moral, we, can, we cannot in any way defend what happened on October. I mean, you know, when you sit there and think about, we have this terrorist group that went in and slaughtered people and, and kidnapped people and raped women. Like, that can't be defended. And then to use this as this t 
divisive thing to enter into our Christmas. Honestly, when I saw it, it kind of reminded me. I don't. I, I know we bring this book up a lot, but you know, 1984, where they had two minutes of hate. Like every day, there had to have wow. two minutes of hate. Do you remember That's this? Great. Okay, so there was two minutes of hate, and basically the idea was we throw something on a television screen, no matter what you're doing. You could be doing something happy or whatever, but we're gonna throw up this, you know, mm. all over radios and television in the middle of your day, and everybody's gonna like. You know, like, I mean, this is Christmas. Like, I understand that there are dark things going on, but canceling the joy, I think, takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah. Well, sadly, our Commonwealth, the Commonwealth of Virginia, is not exempt from these what we might call tone deaf demonstrations, to put it nicely, on our college campuses. We've also been seeing we've been seeing reports of Jewish students being harassed on college campuses here in Virginia. We've seen these protests happening at VCU, uh, Virginia Tech, George Mason. There was one survey, Victoria, that you pointed out to me showing that one in five college students, as many as one in five, were sympathetic, actually saying that they're sympathetic to Hamas. And I know we don't have a lot of time to get into this, but what do you think is going on with our college students? Well, I think, I hate to say it, I think this is the outgrowth of what we've been teaching ideologically in the K-12 schools, this idea that everybody's a a victim and that, you know, we're going to divide, I think, I I honestly think this is where Marxism goes. And I think, I think that they are unfortunately exhibiting what, what should be expected when you teach the kind of ideology we've been teaching. Yeah. Everyone's been really shocked to see anti-Semitism rising across the country, in large part led by many of these young people. Um, Do you feel like that we could put that, the burden of that largely coming out of the college students? Or do you feel like, I mean, uh, the college campuses, what's being taught there? Or do you feel like it's bigger than that? Well, I don't think it's exclusively at college campuses, but I think that's the most obvious place that we're seeing it. In fact, you know, watching these college presidents come in, uh, you know, they got basically drilled in Congress yeah. of like, are you condoning this? Like, what's your what's your position on this? You know, I, I think um, University of Pennsylvania is president and yeah. MIT and all these guys. I, I, I think there needs to be some accounting for what's going on. There needs to be some reckoning of like, how, okay, we're the adults in the room. How are we handling yeah. and shepherding these young minds? And for those of you that didn't have a chance to see that congressional hearing, you should really check it out because it is astounding how they weren't taking responsibility. I think that there are people trying to hold accountable. I mean, this, this leadership, right? This isn't just people do what people do. We can we can lead. We can encourage the good. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't even sound like some of these presidents are trying to encourage the good, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, trying to, to, to call for better out of their students. But the more insidious, deep-rooted problem here, I think, is the philosophy behind this um, DEI, critical race theory, because when you put everything in terms of oppressor versus victim, it becomes easy to veil something like anti-Semitism under that, like, oh, okay, Jewish people are the oppressor, so even though technically they should be a protected ethnicity, oh, they're now deemed the oppressors. It becomes a way to, I think... um, veil more insidious things like anti-semitism it's just shocking that those that actually committed the terror aren't the oppressors in this case those that actually were the oppressor literally destroying lives aren't the ones seen how can there be any sympathy for that other than we we break things down on these weird racial lines i don't know how else you interpret that victim versus oppressor lines yeah Yeah, that which is marxism Yeah. yeah 
All right. Well, well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, could, we could spend a long time on that. We probably well, go ahead. Need to move on. I was just going to say, you know, I mean, what's sad is that we're seeing it play out in other places in Virginia. And I think we should should mention what's been going on in Williamsburg because we've um, had this really unfortunate thing happen here where a menorah lighting is basically being banned from a town festivity. And to me, that's that's kind of sad because Williamsburg is like this iconic place to go for Christmas time. And it's sort of the embodiment of our Judeo-Christian heritage in so many ways yeah. because it's colonial. I mean, my husband and I could not wait to go visit Williamsburg when we moved here to Virginia about three years ago. That was on first thing on our to-do list. So I do think it's really sad. But just to give our listeners some context here, um, you know, among its many attractions, Williamsburg has this super popular street fair called Second Sundays, and it's an art and musical festival. Apparently, it features more than 150 artisans, street performers, diverse food. Have you, have you been to this at all? I haven't. Actually, when I learned about it, I thought, man, I probably should have known about this. You know, you live only an hour yeah. away, but somehow you miss it. But but Williamsburg at Christmas time anyway is amazing. But but I'd yeah. love to try this festival. It does sound. Well, it, it's almost year round. I think they take a break for a couple of months, but it's happening, you know, in November and December. And so what happened is with this controversy is, there was a synagogue, a local rabbi that realized, and in fact, this rabbi, I think he'd already been providing some diverse food, Jewish food at the festival. And so he thought, well, you know, the December one, the December festival is coming right up on Hanukkah. So it makes sense. Maybe we could have a uh, menorah lighting as part of the festivities, as part of some of the things that are going on in the street. And according to him, because I heard him being interviewed, the rabbi said he, um, you know, they were pretty far along or they were in the planning process. It was kind of sounded like everybody was excited about it. He was expecting that it was moving forward as planned. And all of a sudden he gets this email, email exchange with the fair organizer. Yeah, it's it's pretty unbelievable. I think we have to, to really get into this email exchange because yeah. it really highlights the issue. So according to this email exchange between this rabbi and the fair organizer, the, basically, the, the fair organizer told the rabbi that the lighting couldn't happen unless, quote, we could get an Islamic group to participate at the same time. So and then she goes on to explain that they and uh, again, that they, they don't, quote, want to make it seem like we're choosing a side supporting the killing slash bombing of thousands of men, women and children. So the idea that lighting a menorah during Hanukkah is taking a side in the yeah. war and that there's not a side. I mean, I, for Jewish people, wouldn't that would be like a tradition, like putting up your Christmas tree and then telling them that you're choosing a political side. I, <laughs> I yeah, this is a religious. This is a religious um, holiday. This is this is this goes on every year, whether Israel is at war or not. Right. Every year there's Hanukkah, yeah. and and really the crazy part is Hanukkah has such a beautiful tradition that gets to sort of the persecution of the religious. Right. Of, the, of their religious history. So it's it's kind of ironic that, again, it feels like they're, I don't know if we call it persecution, but again, they're they're, they're getting harassed for their faith in Hanukkah. Which, yeah, I, I had read Hanukkah has a, a very strong religious freedom component as part of Absolutely. what they're celebrating. So it is quite ironic. But this gets even more outrageous, unfortunately, because the rabbi actually tried to explain to the fair organizers when he got that email, quote, this would not have anything to do with Israel, nothing to do with Zionism, everything to do with adding light in the world. He's speaking of the symbolic nature of it. But then the organizer or founder of this event goes so far as to tell him, um, I'm just going to quote what the email said. 
Our board members said they'd be okay with proceeding if you do it under a ceasefire banner. So it looks like they they actually wanted him to to do take this. a side. Well, I think that's taking yeah. a side. That's making who is this board? If you if putting up a ceasefire banner is making a political statement, so you're supposed to do your religious display under a political banner. Exactly. I. I I, it made me want to look up the board and figure out who who, yeah, who in the this, world thinks this is a good idea. Yeah, I think a lot of people actually have gotten involved that have never been involved in anything like this because it was just so out there. It displays ignorance, honestly. It is just it, well, it or worse, it play or worse. Well, and hate, yeah, yeah, all all of it. But at least ignorance of sort of what is Hanukkah? Why do yeah. we? Why does one celebrate Hanukkah? Um, sort of this idea that it is in any way. Um, that's to say all things Jewish are all things connected yeah, it to is the stigmatizing. war. If you talk about stigma, yeah. it gets to people that, that is doing that. Um, well, I did find it interesting that this was so far out there, so egregious, that two of our top political leaders, Governor Glenn Youngkin and Eileen, the, well, this is the former Speaker of the House, Eileen Filler-Korn, actually agreed here, even though normally they, they are never on, agree. They're on <laughs> polar opposites of the political sides. That's so... Right. Um, Governor Yakin put out a statement. We're just going to flash this up on the screen here. Uh, he has he posted singling out the Jewish community by canceling this Hanukkah celebration is absurd and anti-Semitic. And then you've got uh, Filler Corn. Her post she says canceling the menorah lighting ceremony and holding Jewish people responsible for the ongoing conflict in the Middle East is shocking and outrageous. This type of hate has no place in Virginia. Well, I'm just amazed day that they can agree on anything so it does tell you how extreme this is and i'm pleased that they both spoke out that we don't just let these things go unaddressed so i i am actually extremely pleased that that's the case it's sad that this ever happened that you ever have to comment on it um and i do think that's what leadership is about again this is this is kind of the reaction that i want from college presidents like no this shouldn't be happening um so i i think that is good and i think um the good news is there is still going to be a menorah lighting at william and mary so speaking of colleges and still um you know and that of course is in williamsburg for those that aren't connecting the dots and um but i think it this whole thing just goes to concerns about anti-Semitism happening across the country. You know, Victoria, I, you know, grew up learning about the Holocaust, reading Corey Tim Boom's testimony, um, and hearing the promise never again. And I really believed that we understood as a culture, as a society, um, the atrocity of this, and everyone <laughs> kind of was it was society wide. It should never happen again. But I have de- just been deeply saddened by. The unexplainable, I guess it is explainable in some ways, but I would have never imagined the trends across the country, the evidences we are seeing and worldwide of, um, of anti-Semitism, of denial. And I have to say, I, I think it would happen again based on what I'm seeing. What are your thoughts on that, that we, we are not as progressed as we like to think that we are? This is the thing, and I think it's interesting that it is within the progressive party is having the biggest battle yes. over that. I mean, that is where, I mean, I hate to say it, but that's a lot of this is coming out of folks that identify with the progressive party, yeah. so to speak. And so it is interesting that progress um, is not necessarily forward motion. Um, and I think that they've been able to claim that banner and put a lot of really horrible things under that banner. We know abortion and many other things fit under that banner. Yes, it has been quite amazing to see people like Chuck Schumer, um, other, other, you know, really out there liberals coming out and um, just calling the anti-Semitism that is happening here 
do, do you see any wake-up call happening out of this that would put us on a better path or is it what are your thoughts on it i mean you're you got to be encouraged when you see bipartisan you know uh, calls that this is inappropriate, that people have really crossed the line in what they're saying and doing. So that's that's encouraging. But to your point, I think some of us are just shocked that we're even here, that, that, that we're, that we're seeing what we're seeing. I, I mean, yeah. I, I am in that camp of uh, maybe it's an age thing. I'd be curious, you know, do people 20 years older than me feel as shocked as, as I do, people younger than me. But yeah. I'm just whatever my sort of growing up was, I did not think we would get back to this place in any way, shape, or form, or head in the direction of, of where I think they must have been to have the experience that we know happened in World War II. Well, it is interesting that even leftist groups have been documenting this astronomical surge in anti-Semitism attacks as much as 388% in the weeks after October 7th. So, Victoria, do you... What are you feeling about this spiritually? Because we've talked about kind of the philosophical components and what's being documented. How are you processing this at a spiritual level? I mean, I think we just know that evil lies in the heart of mankind, right? And that these events sometimes draw out the worst in human nature. And so we're seeing just um, there is there is hate. You don't know where it lies all the time. I didn't know this was an area we were going to struggle with. We obviously, as a country, constantly struggle with this in different components you know mm-hmm. whether it's somebody's race or somebody's faith or some I mean we um, so I I think we just continue to need to look I mean the bottom line is scripturally like we need his help to overcome what is natural to the human experience which is all the wrong things we, we've got to get to a place where we experience spiritual revival and view people as all made in God's image right like that's fundamentally yes. what we where we are yes and that is the heart of God um, loving people created in his image so all right well I did want to again try to end our show with some good news and so I wanted to talk about this great news coming out of Hanover County it it really is great news because you've got some major victories won by moms and dads there concerned Christians who have been faithfully speaking up especially on the topic of parental rights in the schools but now there's some backlash happening because apparently some people aren't too happy with these wins. Yeah, right. So that's there's always going to be two sides to all yeah. these stories. And I mean, I think it's important to talk about Hanover and why it's significant. Some people go, oh, well, Hanover is a conservative part of Virginia. And yes, that's true. But we used to say that about Chesterfield and some of the areas around Richmond that have gone more and more liberal every sort of election cycle. And we see Northern Virginia, which used to be, oh, there's very liberal areas like Arlington and Alexandria. And then they bled out to Fairfax and then Loudoun and kind of heading down to Fredericksburg and Hanover is the northernmost suburb of Richmond and so they're kind of trying to hold their own as a conservative county they're trying to fortify what they believe in and and hold those and so I think um, it's exciting what we've seen there though because it's moms and dads speaking out right like it's it's the parents who are are just constantly in the in the ear of their local board of supervisors and school boards and they're they're making a difference um and it's you know an important part of what the family foundation does is empowering parents is giving them tools is helping them just be able just facilitating that engagement between them and their local elected officials and so um you know one way we do this of course is through our speak up team so we have a speak up hanover team and it's basically just local residents and we're just kind of helping them sort of persevere through the trials of of what happens at the local level and I have to say our Hanover speak up team has been just a beautiful model of how to kind of stay at it and do it in a winsome way with 
um, you know, they've had a hostile crowd. At, you know, there's a there's a group that definitely shows up at all these school board meetings yeah. for LGBT rights. And they've done just such a beautiful job of just continuing to make their school board members know what parents want. Yeah, and they were they were joined by other conservative groups in the community and local pastors got involved yes. with our speak up team. That was wonderful to see. Um, they they went to the school board meetings. The pastors went and even testified. And I would say they really have transformed the environment for the better in the schools now. And so I'm just going to list a few of these wins and it's not even exhaustive, but it shows you what they've accomplished. Um, one, the school board addressed parents' concerns about the explicit book issue, and they did this by establishing a really strong library book policy. And I really think this would be a good model for other districts. But basically, it now allows for a fair review process that brings in different people, um, allows the board to ensure that students aren't accessing pornographic material with zero academic content. So they have a good safety net for that. Um, they adopted policies requiring parents to be notified about sexually explicit uh, content in the classroom and being able to get their student an alternative assignment if necessary. And, and that came out of legislation that we advocated for in the General Assembly. So, okay, I'll just wrap up here with the board also rejected the bad Northam policies on transgender issues that we've talked about a lot and then adopted the most important components of the Yunkin revisions, which basically, you know, most importantly tells schools that they cannot have policies or language calling on educators to hide information from parents when kids are experimenting with their gender sexuality at school. The parents have to be involved in this process. It can't, there can't be secret things happening. We've, we've been seeing these headlines just in the last few weeks uh, of different states across the nation of uh, educators calling, a, you know, like a a gay, lesbian, transgender club, a different name. I saw a story where they called the club Bubbles to hide <laughs> it from parents. You know, so this hiding is happening, and it's important that schools have a policy on the books that prevents it. And so I could go on and tell you a lot more victories, but the point is this is the power of parents and concerned Christians that speak up in a sustained and, as Victoria said, persevering manner because they did stick at it for months. They were there for months with their Protect Every Kid signs. But... What's now interesting out of all of this is the extreme backlash that's happening. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah. So according to this um, obviously very angry leftist community member, this is an extremist religious takeover. Um, so we're going to put these posts up for our um, YouTube viewers. But basically, this person gives a dire warning that this is, quote, very dangerous, anti-democratic stuff. An extremist religious takeover going on with our school board in Hanover. Okay, let me just say, I don't know why this is a takeover when taxpayers and parents that support their public schools are able to be involved and weigh in and for there to be training that supports them being involved and weighing in. So I don't know why that's a takeover. It's the taxpayers. Yeah, of course. There's that. Yeah, and of, and of course, you know, basically another leftist activists basically singled out our colleague Todd Gacky, who handles policy on our team. And so if we can just show that post again, it says, quote, the Family Foundation, where Hanover's own Todd Gacky advises our school board on policies to discriminate and attack our LGBTQ families. Okay, I just love the point Todd actually made to this when he found out about this, that they are decrying 
family foundation's involvement to basically empower parents and argue in favor of parental rights, because that's all we've been doing. No one here has said anything about discriminating. What we've been doing is clearly arguing over and over for parental rights. Offering another perspective. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So they're decrying family foundation's involvement for parental rights, while at the same time proudly cheering on LGBTQ groups that I would say advocate for the opposite, excluding parents. And in addition to the ACLU's lawsuits that have happened out in this county trying to force schools to into adopting these radical transgender policies that, again, would exclude parents. So it's, it's like they just want one perspective and anything else is a takeover. Yeah, no question. And all we're doing, again, is just providing resources to school board members. So things like our law center provided a legal review. Um, Our policy team has helped them see what our model um, examples of these policies. You know, when a school board passes a good policy, it's like, okay, here's an example you can point to. You know, those are the kind of things that we've been doing. But one of the tools that we've also um, been helping with is um, sort of an alternative to the traditional liberal school board association, right? So all these school board members um, get elected and then they get trained by the school board association. And we've quickly learned that that's training in one direction, that it comes from a very left perspective. And so essentially there was, um, we kind of helped launch a school board member alliance, which is basically an alternative group where school board members could get a different perspective back to this idea that we're going to, you know, actually have options. So it's a nonprofit. It's a separate entity from the Family Foundation. But our law center was involved in basically just helping put this together. And all all we're doing is basically, again, providing model policies, providing legal background to these organizations. But the new association put on a training for school board members and Hanover school board members came and were a part of that. And so that has the leftists particularly upset. That led to these accusations that Family Foundation is a, quote, extremist organization that is taking over the public schools. Yeah. All I've got to say is if our crime is helping parents have get more respect in the school system, be, have more of a voice, then I'll gladly wear that badge. <laughs> Absolutely. And seriously, I, I really hope these efforts embolden more parents in districts across the state to take the same steps to to take over for their parental rights that they are paying tax money to have in their own public schools that their children are attending. Yeah, the fact that we have to fight over these things, that parents have to insert themselves in this process just for school administrators to say, oh, they're actually in charge. Parents are actually in charge of their own children. Yeah. That matters. Well, and I think also what's happening in Hanover County is the school board members are emboldened to know they don't have to blindly follow in this kind of leftist woke pressure, you know, that that they can make their own decisions. And and also we hope there would be a ripple effect with school boards with that as well. I think the bottom line is that there's now an alternative perspective and people just don't like two sides of these things. And, you know, that's that's a good thing in our minds. Okay, I'm just going to take an offshoot here. That's the thing with leftists is they're not okay (laughs) with civic discussion. Right. Yeah, it is very authoritarian. I think that we see that in so many areas just throughout this entire conversation today. Well, and I I think this can be an example as we go into the General Assembly session. You know, we're thinking about how leftists have sort of taken control of the House and Senate, but I think this can be an example of how we can be a part of bringing the light even in dark places. We've really made that a theme of our year end, um, and it's based on that scripture verse, of course, John 1, 5, that talks about the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it, right? We are not we are not um, handcuffed. We are not, just because there are folks with a lot of very, very harmful views doesn't mean we can't engage in that dialogue and make a difference, and I think that's what they're doing. And so we've really made this 
kind of our year-end theme. Um, as you know, a lot of nonprofits um, are, are at the end of the year really focused on trying to raise funds for our mission, and that's part of what we do here at the Family Foundation is we, we want to be equipped. When we get to the General Assembly, we want to have exactly the team we need with all the resources they need, and so that's part of why we do this kind of year-end theme. Yeah. Victoria, help us understand why the year in is so important to ministries like ours. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a time people are already thinking about giving and we're already kind of in the spirit of generosity. And so it's kind of reminding folks um, just of the importance of being generous to the work that makes a difference in our lives, right? There's so many great organizations, not just the Family Foundation. And then for our team, it's particularly important because we're about to hit um, sort of our um, really, really intense season. And so we hire extra um, lobbyists. We do things that start in January and February. We, we put our advocacy days together where we're going to have, you know, March for Life and Mama Bear advocacy. We'll talk about all that yeah. stuff. I mean, yeah, we're going to be talking it. about but, that. But, you know, all, all of that takes resources. And so for mm -hmm. us, in addition to just this moment in the year, and a lot of folks are thinking about just their tax deductions, and we're all non, you know, nonprofits, so they're thinking about that as the end of their calendar tax year. So it's just, it kind of all aligns to a great opportunity to sort of invest in the organizations that help. Um, and we think of ourselves as, you know, this is really about a legacy for your children and your grandchildren. It's setting up a commonwealth that we all can raise our families and flourish. Yeah. And also it helps the staff be encouraged. People like me and my colleagues know that you think the work we are doing is valuable, making a difference. It helps us keep going as well. Hey, we got people around us that are supporting what we are doing. We're gonna keep going here into the new year. So it's it's important that way as well, just the support that it communicates. Um, so, Victoria, if they want to make a year-end donation, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, the easiest is just on our website at familyfoundation.org. You'll see a banner that the light shines in the darkness. So, literally, it has kind of a okay. theme banner. And you just click on that, and it has a lot of options. And if you want to make a more complex gift, a lot of people donate stock and do that kind of thing, you can certainly contact Marie, just marie at familyfoundation.org. Well, thank you for your support in whatever way it has been, whether it's listening to us, going to school board meeting, um, just sending an email when we ask for action. Thank you so much. It means so much to us. We want to wish you an early Merry Christmas. Hopefully we'll have the opportunity again where we're just going to say Merry Christmas from now until the, the holiday season. Um, but we do want to encourage you also. One way you can do an easy support is to share our Speak Up Virginia playlist. And if you are listening to the audio-only version, be sure to give us that five-star review. If you like what you're hearing, that helps us get the word out to more people. And with that said, thank you for listening. Remember, we are stronger when we speak together.